welcome to On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Stacey Garcia, and welcome to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast. As a designer, an explorer, a fashion forecaster, I look to Bill McLaughlin and Furniture Today to find out about industry trends and the stories behind the news. Let's listen in and hear what Bill and his guests have in store for us today. All right. Welcome to On the Record. My guest this week is Eric Dean, president of the newly formed IMC Digital Innovation Group. Eric, uh, that announcement came out at Atlanta. I think some people kind of have an idea, but if you can just help people understand what this new entity is and what its purpose is, what is IMC Digital Innovation? Sure, and uh, thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Looking forward to our conversation. Um, so IMC, International Market Centers, is in the market-making business. You know, At its most core, it's about bringing buyers and sellers together. And the reality these days is that buyers and sellers come together in a lot of different venues. You know, the markets are super important and they will always be. Um, but buyers are also, you know, they're interacting every day with salespeople in their stores uh, on the road. But they're also starting to act, react um, more and more uh, with the digital offerings that companies have. So they're, you know, whether it's online or via email or some other type of marketing, they're finding ways to interact with those brands. So what IMCDI, Digital Innovations, represents is IMC's um, initiative to extend their market-making um, commitment to improving the connection between buyers and sellers to the digital fold, um, and really crossing all, we're all three of those channels. Certainly at market, we're all about using digital tools to make the markets better, more efficient on both the buy side and the sell side. But we also have now a set of software tools that are designed to help the salespeople do a better job with the customers, help the vendors connect directly with their uh, buyers more, and help the buyers have uh, the opportunity to engage with these brands 365 days a year as opposed to just at the markets. And that putting that all together involved an acquisition of Pharos and RepZio. Can you explain how those two things come together to kind of help create this initiative? Sure, and that's a, a lot of the work that we're doing right now is bringing uh, the RepZio organization, the Ferros organization, also you know elements of you know IMC's existing digital organization together and really form just one, which is digital innovations. Um, RepZio and Ferros had a pretty strong market out there already, so there's an established base of business which covered hundreds and hundreds of customers, um, thousands of salespeople already using the tools and millions of uh, SKUs that are already out there. So as a way to sort of um, get a quick start and uh, take advantage of some early momentum, you know, putting those together. So, you know, Pharos came and had a very strong position in the, in the gift industry. Um, RepZio had a very strong position in the home decor and furniture side. So it was the opportunity to, you know, put these together and sort of, you know, put one plus one and one and come up with something, you know, significantly greater than three. And it's all about the head start, and it's about the relationships, and about um, you know a lot of the work that's really been done by both of these organizations over the last ten years. So, you created or spun Ferros off from where aware. Um, you've been in the digital space for a long, long time. Help me understand the steps that had to precede this 
kind of technologically for this to be the right time? Because, you know, it's, it's always about the right time and the right place. And I, my guess is that if, if IMC had tried this in 1995, it doesn't have the same impact that it does now. So what are the things that had to take place in order to lay the groundwork for this to be successful in the marketplace? Yeah, I think we're, we're For those all... of us non-techies. <laughs> well, um, you know, we're a tech organization at, at, at DI, but, but even more than that, we're really from the industry. You know, so this is an industry inside-out operation. So, you know, myself having worked with Wear Aware for 20 years, you know, I've come to the high point market. I missed one in the last 20 years. Uh, I have not missed an Atlanta market, and I've, been, I've missed two Las Vegas markets since its founding. So, and um, Max and Alex Frazier from RevZio actually um, grew up in this industry. So we come from the industry, so we've been able to see how these things evolved. Um, I started Wear Aware 20 years ago, and one of the first things we tried to do was create an online marketplace. And it was before its time. Uh, the technology wasn't ready, the market wasn't ready, um, people didn't see the value of it. But you know, it's a very different world today in 2020 than it was in 2000. And some of the things that, you know, some of them are, are basic. Some of it's demographics, is that the demographics change. Some of the, you know, there's 20 years of digital natives who've been now assuming more of the roles within, you know, the buying organizations or the selling organizations um, that we work with. At the same time, you know, the technology's gotten a lot better. You know, broadband uh, did not really exist at that time. So if you remember the, you know, you've got mail at AOL with that horrible, yeah, grinding yeah. sound. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just awful. And, uh, you know, that has gotten much better. Um, iPads, you know, all of our salespeople are out there running around with iPads, which is a great way at high definition. It's a window into an endless amount of images and videos and things that can really get the message and the, the beauty of these products that our, our customers create and buy, get those across instead of carrying you know, an endless stack of huge catalogs, which are super expensive and go out of date. You know, just the invention of the iPad completely changed the whole sales automation world and uh, enabled us to really offer something of value to the salespeople before we, we didn't really have much to offer them. So, um, and then finally, in the last five years, sort of the rise of e-tail, you know, Wayfair, Amazon, you know, Walmart, Overstock, Hay Needle, you know, the list goes on and on. And, and you, know, you just walk around these markets and you, you see the impact that they have. You see the, you know, the swarm that comes out of uh, the buying groups there. And, you know, it, as, as that's come, people have, on both the buy side and the sell side have become much more attuned to what's important and how... They're looking at how consumers are interacting with those consumer brands, those consumer retailers, e-tailers. And then that's following through with their readiness in terms of the vendor side to be, you know, adopting digital as a channel that speeds it along. On the buy side, you know, the stores are looking and saying, I need to compete with that. So, you know, whether it's my own website or the information that I need to have available to my floor staff, you know, I need to be out there and just it forced everybody to raise their game. So there's a confluence of you know, time that's just gone by a couple of decades since we started this. Um, there's a combination of the technology just getting so much better, but then it's also competitive pressure. I mean, competition is good. Um, and, you know, that's one way we look at this and we look at, a, you know, within the DI side is that IMC side, is that there are a lot of companies out there that are pure technology companies that are coming in and trying to have, you know, a disruptive impact on our industries. Um, the nice thing about whether it's IMC who, 
certainly stands to gain and to lose as the industry grows and shrinks. You know, it's all about growing the industry and lifting the entire industry. And then the companies like Ferros and Repzio, who were born and we made our way um, because of the customers we serviced in these industries, and we're of the industry. You know, we're not interested in disrupting this industry. We're interested in helping it get more efficient, removing friction, making it easier for buyers and sellers to get together and for that process to be as effective as possible. And I think that's a huge differentiator between some of the other companies that are out there and what, we're, um, what we intend to do at uh, Digital Innovations. Trying to help people understand, I mean, at its simplest level, this is a marketplace, it's a B2B marketplace bringing together the buyers. Now, when you say the buyer, is that specifically and strictly retailers? Could that encompass designers? I mean, who fits in that bucket that we define as the buyers? Yeah. Well, we're, you know, with, with DI, we are really focused on sort of three main product streams that we intend to develop over the next year. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll go down this path and I'll come back to your, to your question because it might add a little context to it. You know, the first path is those tools, so sales, digital sales and marketing tools that were already being provided by Pharos and were already be, being provided by Repzio. You know, our intention is that we continue to invest and enhance those tools. We want to get those tools which make those make markets more effective, uh, make the everyday selling process more effective, make that online um, experience more effective. We want to accelerate the development of those and make sure that those tools are properly resourced so that we can just get better solutions to our customers. Um, the second thing we're doing is we've got, you know, what are things that specifically can enhance markets? You know, smart showrooms we talk about is, you know, for that, for what happens at a market, you know, how can we make that experience better for you know, both the sell side, the tenants and exhibitors, um, but also on the buy side. How do we make these buyers more, more effective? And when I talk about buyers, there, I really am talking about all the buyers. You know, all the people um, that are on the the attendee side of markets. So it's not just a retailer, although certainly that's a big. But uh, you know, you can't be in this business and not be really focused and, and understand how important the designer has come to this. So you know, and it's hard to be a designer if you're out there and you don't have access to all the wonderful resources that are available for your projects and for your clients. So we want to we want to make that easier too. So really, you know, whether it's buyer or it's retailer, we want to make their market experience better and we want to make their off-market experience better. And we want to do as good a job as we possibly can to help them connect to, as I said, you know, there's so many talented people building so much wonderful product out there. It's just hard to find sometime and we want to make it easier to find. Um, third product that we're doing is that digital marketplace, which is something that will be out there on a business-to-business -business marketplace where designers, retailers, whether they come to market or not, and there's, there are a lot of them that don't come to market, but we still want to be able to deliver value to our customer base, those people who make these products, to be able to find these people who might not be attending market. So right now it's a you know, fairly limited path to find them. The salespeople might not be able to find them or even be aware that they're out there. So there's certainly, you know, that group is certainly emerging um, more and more on the digital side. Well, we want to cast the net out there. We want to make sure that they're aware and we want to, getting back to our businesses to make the market, whether it's in a physical setting or a digital setting, we want to be just as accessible to those people who are out there um, looking on their computers for the perfect thing to round out their project if they're a designer or to fill a vignette if they're a retailer. Um, we want to be just as effective for them as we can be for the folks that actually do come at market. That sounds like a, almost like it could serve as a recruiting tool. So people who maybe have never been to a physical market and come into the digital space could be exposed to things that then if they wanted to 
that would encourage them or possibly direct them to the physical market as well. And that's exactly it. Um, we really believe that there's an opportunity for the digital to lift the physical markets um, and vice versa. You know, properly executed, you know, what we intend to do um, is use digital to make those, to, to whether it's, you know, recruiting tool. I use uh, the baseball analogy. It's almost the farm system, the farm club. So the minor league team is that that's the introduction. And then as, as these, you know, new buyers start to see just how much great product there is, and they're looking at and say, you know what, it's going to make sense for me to invest a few days and come to a market, come to one of our markets to see this firsthand and to meet some of these people that are behind the product so I understand it, and that I can have a real partnership with a resource, you know, for, you know, for the next 10 projects that come down the line or, you know, for my next 10 buying cycles. So from the side of the exhibitor um, or whatever you call the, the company that is now in that marketplace or has the smart showroom, do you have a name for them? We're using vendor because it's one that covers tenants, exhibitors, uh, sellers, manufacturers, you know, sort of getting the terminology all on the same page is one of the challenges that we have because we have as an industry, we use so many terms to do it, but we're using vendor right now. Okay. So on the vendor side, how do they participate in this and what does their activity look like? So they have the opportunity to participate in a couple ways. Um, you know, one, you know, they are going to need to have some digital sales and marketing tools. Um, you know, they're probably gonna need, depending on their size, they're probably gonna need a branded business-to-business website. Uh, most often that should be transactional these days. Um, we have software that can make that easy and provide that. They need to get control of their products. So we have product management tools, which make it easier for them to you know, have control of all their product data, all the attributes, you know, all the specifications that are important. You know, so that that information can be passed to their salespeople, it can be passed to their retail customers, it can be passed to the e-tail customers that are, you know, have a voracious appetite for better and better content. So all the videos, all the specs, all the line art, all that can be in one place. So we have those tools that can be there. So vendors can take advantage of those. Um, we have a tool for CRM for, for to know your customer, to be able to track your customer you know, across these different channels. So you can do a good job understanding how different buyers are interacting with your brand in different places, different channels, what happens at market, what happens on the road, what happens online, just to have a better sense of sort of understanding your customer. So control your product data, know your customer. We have those tools right now um, through the existing RepZio and Ferro's offerings. So we'd love for vendors to participate in that. Um, understanding that by working with us that they're signing up with a partner that has the resources and the commitment to be there for the long term to, you know, with the um, absolute goal of lifting the market and making their business better. Um, with our digital marketplace, which we are in the process of designing and building, and our intention is to stand that up by the end of the year. It's an aggressive time schedule. It is. Um, that's part of why we're hiring 50 to 60 people right now, um, which is uh, an, an ambitious task right now. Okay, I'll give you 10 seconds for a quick, quick plug. Anybody who's listening who wants to apply, how do they do it? And who are you looking for? Uh, careers. There's a free classified ad coming, folks. It, it is. Uh, so careers at imcdi.com. Um, please send an email uh, to that. And we are looking for a number of different roles. So we're looking for, you know, first and foremost, we're certainly looking for developers, um, technology people, project managers, user experience people, uh, front-end developers, back-end developers. You know, there are... Um, jobs available and we're uh, we're filling out those roles predominantly in our Florida office in uh, in Juno Beach 
Um, in addition to that, uh, we're hiring the customer facing side. So customer success people, uh, sales people, marketing people, just to round out our, um, our ability to reach to uh, the, the audience to make sure that we're doing a good job of delivering our message and uh, you know, filling, the, filling the, the sales funnel. So, and those are predominantly be out of a Virginia office. Okay. So back to the, the, I'm curious about the digital tools. You mentioned that RepZio and uh, Pharos have the ability to provide all of these visual, uh, digital marketing and other support tools to um, potential vendors. If people already have existing relationships and existing expertise, can that be integrated with this platform and work with the, their existing tools? For sure. And, and what you're getting at here is, is one of our core philosophical tenets is that you know, we feel like we have a responsibility to build something for the entire industry. And not everybody is going to build a website with one of our tools. Not everybody is going to use one of our you know, sales automation scanning tools. We understand that, and that's fine. Um, we want to be a resource for everybody. So we will. This is going to be an open system. You know, we're not looking to exclude people. This isn't you have to be with our tools or you cannot play. You know, what we want to do is make this a resource that is valuable to everybody, um, which in turn grows the value of the system for us. So it'll be an open system. Um, we will, we will um, certainly connect to any number of systems that, that, that help to get the information in and make it easier for our customers. Well, that made me think. Hi, it's Stacy Garcia again. And before we return to Bill and On the Record, I just want to say how excited I am to announce the introduction of my first collection for Klausner's Comfort Design and Outdoor Lines. You can see it at the upcoming market in High Point, and you can read about it in Furniture Today. Speaking of Furniture Today, let's get back to Bill and On the Record. Now, once people have these tools, let's say it's a vendor who's relatively new and they come in and they get all of these tools, it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that these are tools that then could be applied to their interaction outside of this marketplace with their retail customers on a day-to-day -day basis. So you mentioned, for example, a CRM. It seems to me that that's something that somebody could use whether, you know, in addition to the marketplace in, their, in the daily conduct of their business with their customers. Yeah, and, and these tools are really designed... You know, digital permeates everything these days. It, it's, it permeates the markets. It permeates the everyday interaction you have with customers. So a CRM tool is absolutely beyond, above and beyond the marketplace. And it's designed to, you know, help you, you know, manage your customers um, regardless of whether you, whether you touch them. It doesn't have to be on our marketplace. Likewise, the, the product tools that there, we know that those are going to be used to send information to Wayfair. We know that um, those are going to be used to send information to, you know, the top 100 that, you know, are requiring, you know, more and more. They want that type of information, too. Um, likewise, you know, we have a, um, a solution for B2B websites, you know, so a transactional website that will be under the brand of that vendor. And we know that vendors need to own their brand. They need to own their own home on the Internet as well as participate in our marketplace. And we want to support that. And, you know, that will be something that belongs to them and is their sort of voice and home on the world. So what we want to do is we want to use digital in general to support the overall business, regardless of where, whether, you know, where they touch their customers. We just want to make it as, as effective and efficient as possible. It strikes me, one of the things about a digital marketplace, if we look at Amazon or Wayfair, that generates a tremendous amount of data about the customer. 
um, and obviously the data cuts two ways, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll talk, we'll talk about privacy issues, and I, I have absolutely no doubt that you've thought those through. But it seems to me that there's a tremendous amount of market intelligence that is inherent in this process. Is that part of um, what people will be able to access? Will you know? Do you have a plan for aggregating that data, generating information? I mean, it seems to me that this could be a real terrific market intelligence tool for people who participate. Am I off the bait? If I'm, am I missing the mark or? No, we want to, you know, we want to be that resource. And you know, if we're out there and we're running our marketplace, and you know, we have ten thousand visitors um, who come in a week, you know, we can see what they search on. We can see how that's different from geography to geography. Now, that's information that really doesn't exist right now. It's very difficult for, you know, manufacturers in our industry to get that kind of information, or for buyers to even to see that kind of information. So the idea that we're able to look across so many interactions and see where those trends are and aggregate it and do it in such a way that is you know completely in line with all regulations and laws um, but of aggregating the data and being able to actually you know start to push some of that back to to the industry saying here's what's happening and you know and what you know so they have an opportunity to look at it and say what are you doing to react to that or you know, are you aware that this is going on you know whether it's uh, you know as simple as you know people in the West are searching for the color red more um, you know, that, that's important to a product development shop. That's important to, you know, sort of a, somebody who's trying to round out their assortment. And those are the kind of things that, because we'll have access to so many people that are doing this, you know, we'll want to look at some of that aggregated data and understand it and, you know, really be, deliver something of value back to the industry that we serve. In terms of color, I would think, feature, price point trends. Um, I mean, in terms of understanding how the market is performing directionally, it seems like it would give you a very, very quick snapshot or, or, or a very good moving picture of the industry in motion. You actually said that beautifully. I might, uh, I might plagiarize that if you, if you allow me to. Be my guest. <laughs> the flip side, obviously, of data, and, and I did notice the disclaimer in there, in line with all existing laws and whatever, there, is, there are always privacy issues, and particularly in the furniture industry, um, vendor X has a particular offering that he offers to these retailers, and he may have different pricing and different products that he offers to those retailers. And so in that kind of a marketplace scenario, I would presume that you have different kinds of safeguards and different kinds of um, processes in place to allow people to tailor and work with specific customers. Sure. Now, and I, and I keep in mind that um, Ferros and RepZio have been working with, um, you know, in the last, for a decade, you know, working with companies like this and understanding how important it is to, you know, uh, keep and maintain the trust that's given in them. You know, we're, we're, we've had a lot of information about our customers. We need that in order to deliver the service or the products that we have. Um, you know, coming in with IMC, you know, the, the last thing that IMC is ever going to, you know, allow us to do or would want us to do, we do anything that would start to erode the trust um, that has been built with the customer. So in terms of you know, we understand how important it is, and then, you know, certainly we're going to, you know, be compliant with the laws that are out there. Um, but it goes beyond that. It's really about doing the right thing for taking a long-term approach to the customer, is that, you know, to the industry and to the customer. We're not going to take a short, you know, it'd be crazy, um, bad business and unethical to make a short-term decision to misuse somebody's data, um, you know, for a short-term game. And what we really need to do is, you know, lift the industry and uh, deliver 
data that has value, like the trend information that you just so uh, so eloquently spoke of, um, to be able to really you know add value to it, help the decision making on both sides of it, and that's kind of where our heads are. We are evolving, and you know we are you know clarifying all of our policies. Um, but you know, directionally, you know, it's pretty solid. Directionally, is where we want to go. We want to use it for to identify trends, and we want to make sure that whatever we do, that we are earning and maintaining the trust that our customers have put in us for decades. From the the standpoint of the ability to uh, for the vendor to customize their offering to different um, segments of the market, right? You, what you have for a top one hundred versus a smaller retailer, what you have for e-com versus brick and mortar. Um, I presume there's some some customization ability in that process. How does that work? Sure. Well, we you know when when you get into you know for the tools you have the ability because they belong to the brand. You're able to set those rules with the marketplace that we're building. We understand that this is not a one size fits all. You know that different. You know that there are different relationships that are long standing and that segmenting the market and having different business rules for for different people. The way you handle a single designer is different than the way you handle a top 100. Uh, you know, retailer. So we, um, you know, we are building in that capability as we design and architect and start to develop our marketplace. We understand, you know, if we're going to say we're from the industry, by the industry, you know, for the industry, you know, we need to actually uh, carry the load and deliver on some of that. And we understand that we are going to have to adhere to some of those business rules. You've been at the Lincoln Memorial recently. It sounds like that's uh, from the people by well, the people yeah. for the people. Maybe maybe, maybe my uh, I keep uh, you know like. Plagiarize, check me. Well, you know, if you're going to... Bill McLaughlin, Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) If you're going to plagiarize Lincoln. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me talk a little bit about um, what this means for you. This is uh, kind of a a whirlwind. I mean, you started Wear Aware almost 30 years ago. Is it 20 years now? Um, So just from the standpoint of... I mean, that was a much smaller entity to get started. How does stepping into something this large compare? I'm curious. You know, you signed the deal, just from a personal point. You signed the deal. You went home. You you know, talked to your family. You sat down. You're having dinner. What did that feel like? I mean, what you like? Oh my goodness, what have I done? This is awesome. I mean, what what's that? Uh, well, thought process. Yeah, you know, if you have your own company for uh, for 20 years, I mean, it's always. Um, you know, it's, it's your baby. Um, and I don't know that there's any entrepreneur out there who would feel differently. You know, that said, you know, and as a, as, as a parent, you want your children, if you'll pardon the metaphor, you want your children to, you know, to be all they can be. You want them to be, you know, their best possible self. I've been, you know, intrigued, obsessed, you know, for years on the idea on how digital and sort of the physical worlds can interact and make the, make each other better. I don't want to, you know, the idea that it's a digital only initiative, I don't think is the way to go. Maybe that's just my background in these, in these industries. But, you know, in, and, and we're aware as we grew the company, um, you know, did more and more of that. As we spun off Pharos, it was the opportunity to, um, you know, have a more tightly focused element on it. But there are limits to what you can do. Um, you're going to need resources. You know, for the Pharos side, we needed to go raise some money. And in order to make the dream possible. And then we needed to go find a way that we could really connect with, you know, thousands of vendors and hundreds of thousands of buyers. Well, you know, the list gets pretty small when you start putting those together. And what we got um, by the acquisition from IMC was access to capital to be able to, you know, build your dream. 
Now, this is something that I have been thinking about doing. You know, Wear Aware started as a marketplace 20 years ago. It did not work. You know, but I don't think the idea was bad. I think the timing was bad and some of the execution was bad, but we'll do it better this time. Um, you know, but it's the opportunity to actually have the resources, the commitment to be part of a team that's committed to making this work. Um, shared value systems. There were so many positives. So that's a very long answer to, you know, in summary, I'd say I was pretty excited the night after, after we uh, signed the deal and I was ready to go. You, you made an interesting point about where aware the the timing was not quite right, but also there were some things that you probably wish you had done differently. Are there some lessons that you learned from that marketplace experience there that you think have direct applicability and will help this to be to avoid certain pitfalls or to be more successful right out of the gate? Absolutely, and I think the biggest one um, comes from just being in the industry for 20 years. You know, I was one of those, I was an outsider, I was an interloper. I had been on the periphery in the home textiles world for a few years. But that's different than really living. That's different than attending 72 markets. That's different than, you know, working with 300 customers and, you know, 50,000 retailers and millions and millions of SKUs uh, that are turning over every year. And doing that for two decades. So the ability to really understand the industry, you know, Having talked to so many smart people and asking them what they need, you know, what's going to make it better, we have so much more input than what we did 20 years ago. So I think, uh, you know, whether it's uh, 20 years of of age and experience that you know erased a little of the hubris that was there 20 years ago, um, I, I think there's just a lot of value just to the experience and the learnings, and most of all, just the conversations. Having the ability to work with so many, you know, talented companies over the years. It's just been such a, a, you know, just a fabulous business and personal experience for me. And I intend to, you know, and I, you know, know that my, you know, my partners with Max and Alex Frazier from RepZio and Brandon Ward and the, uh, the entire IMC team, you know, have had a lot of those conversations too, and they feel the same way. You know, we're excited about this. With We're Aware, that was an entrepreneurial adventure. Um, when you start a company like that, and this is, I think most people go through this, there's a scaling process. And because you start from a very small place, the scaling takes place over time and there's a certain pace to it. Now you're having to scale very, very quickly in a, in a very compressed time frame. Are, are there some things that scaling where aware and that experience did to help you to understand what it takes to scale at the pace that you have to do now? What are the, the real most important things to focus your time and attention on? Because I'm sure that there's more that you have more tasks than hours in the day. Well, that, that, that's it for sure. Um, well, where where I was employee one, tied for employee number one, and we grew to about 100 people before we did our, our spinoff. So it took 20 years to do that. Um, so we did it at a, a sort of deliberate and steady pace, particularly over the last few years. Um, this year, we're going to grow digital innovations to about 100 people in a year. So the pace is dramatically different. But one of the lessons that you learn, and it, 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 just, it, it, it always comes back to people. If you make the right decisions, whether you're hiring two people a year or 60 people, if you make the right decisions on the people and you get the right people in the right roles, then, then you're going to do a good job. You're going to get it there. Likewise, if you get it wrong, um, you know, you're going to hit some obstacles in the road. So, you know, we want to make sure that we, we've gotten very deliberate. We have a very systematic hiring process here. We've gotten 
some help from some outside companies to be able to uh, apply this process and you know broaden our net to be able to move quicker. Um, but what we're not compromising in on is the screening process, is that we are making sure that people are not only technically competent on it, but they also they fit our values. We need to make sure that they want to be, they see the fit, they see the opportunity, but we see it in them too, that they, they share the same value system, that they're committed to the customers, and that they can also grow to you know love the, we want people who will grow to love the industry as much as I have over the last 20 years. We want, those that, we want that to see, um, to be a parent as they come to us and say, you know, this is something that I want to be a part of. I like the idea of, you know, really improving this and making this industry better, you know. So I want that spark in their eye when they come. I'm, I'm curious, and I ask a lot of folks who run their own businesses these types of questions. Uh, a lot of the Ashley folks talk about hire for attitude, train for skill. Do you have a philosophy? Do you have techniques when you're sitting down across the table from somebody for the first time? Are there particular questions you ask? Are there little tips or tricks or, you know, what is, what is your philosophy and, and then what does your, your process look like? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, and particularly on the technology side, I'm not necessarily qualified to really test for competence there. So we have, we have some ways to go around that. I'm looking for fit. I'm looking for that culture fit. Is somebody, you know, one, you know, do they really want to be here? Do they do their homework? Are they genuinely excited? Because, you know, whether when you work in any company, you know, there's a lot of your time. It's, it's a third of your life. So you, you, you better, you know, love the work you do and the people that you work with. Um, so I want somebody who's going to fit into that because um, there's a commitment that I'm, in my position that I'm making, not only to the person I'm hiring, but to the team that they're coming on. So they count on, count on me and the other hiring managers to do a good job. Um, some of the things that I've always looked for, um, and some of this might come out of the entrepreneurial side, I love initiative. Show me, you know, what are things that somebody's done to take initiative or how have they gone sort of above and beyond their their pay grade, so to speak, in order to effect a change where they saw a situation that could be made better and they took the initiative to do it. Um, I love college athletes. You know, somebody who played a sport in college, which is effectively having a full-time job and, and still did well, excelled on the field, but also excelled um, in the classroom. Likewise, people who had to you know, pay their way through school, who had to work their way through school just and still managed to do a good job on that. It, that shows his drive, it shows commitment, and it shows the ability to juggle, sort of in and in a startup world or in a rapidly growing company world. You know, it's not going to be doing the same thing every day. You're going to have a lot of different tasks, and you're going to have to be part of a vibrant, fluid environment. And so, I'm looking for some sort of historical basis where somebody's, you know, not only successfully navigated that, but it maybe loves it, actively seeks it out, wants that environment. Those are the people I want. Yeah, I think people too who play team sports. You mentioned college athletes. The ability to function in a team, I think, sometimes gets underestimated. I, I know in other places that I've worked and talking to people about hiring, um, you can hire someone who has a great skill set in isolation, but how they interact with the other members of your team and how they fit with the culture in place, you can take a great functioning team and just add one bad element and it disrupts the whole process. And that's part of that responsibility that we really have to, you know, get that ahead of time. Because it's, you know, and the person can be fabulous. It can be, you know, it just, maybe it's just not a good fit. You know, but that's our job, is to, to make sure that those, you know, those folks for the company's good, but for their own good, you know, find another opportunity and that we take care of the people that are there that are committed to, as you said, you know, a team approach to building this. Because you know, none of this gets, you know, none of this gets done by anybody by themselves. Yeah. 
you have experience on both gift the home furnishing side. We talked about the fact that at WearAware you've got all of this experience as an insider now as opposed to an outsider. Um, what are some of the things from the standpoint of, for example, I think furniture tends to be very skew intensive, right? You offer the sofa in 225 fabrics and all of that. Um, how do you manage all of that complexity? Well, the, the first part is really understanding it. Um, and that just comes through conversation after conversation and design after design, you know, to understand before we, you know, could get serious about the furniture industry, we had to, you know, the terms are a configurator, you know, because it's an endless amount of SKUs. It's not like it's one cup and one SKU number that you have, you know, which is nice to have. You have to be able to manage that. It could be 22 different finishes and, you know, 122 different fabrics. And oh, by the way, each one goes with each one. So being able to really understand that. What I found on the technology side, that if you can really understand it and write it out and really get, a good developer can develop it. They can write the equation to do it. They, the math can be done. Um, but what it really is, it's, you know, in all these projects, it's really understanding the requirements. That's the term we use. It's really understand the, the customer requirements. And that just takes it's a lot of effort and it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of years. You know, and as we started to have more furniture companies, um, or more textiles companies that had a lot of these options, even in the apparel side, you have a lot of different options. You know, we needed to, you know, make sure that we were investing the time to really understand it. Um, so we had some very, very patient customers who, you know, helped train us on it. So we're, you know, bringing a lot of that knowledge to it. But, you know, it's an, it's an always evolving situation, too. So you have to, those, those conversations never stop. And you never say, ah, got it. I understand the furniture industry. We're done. You know, never going to say that. Actually, I think it's the opposite. I think the more you understand the industry, you, the more you realize how incredibly complex it is and how little you understand the industry. At least that's been my experience. Oh, there's a wonderful, I, I wish I could could come up with this as another plagiarism opportunity here. Um, there's some wonderful quote, like the more I know, the less, the more I know I don't know. Or it's, I, it's, I was thinking the exact same thing, and I don't know what the exact quote is, but yes, you recognize your ignorance through right. learning. So, yeah. What conversation would you like to be having about this initiative a year from now? You know, I would love for people to say, you guys really got it right. You know, you really listened. We've been talking to people for three years. You know, and through WearAware slash Pharos and RepZeo, we've been talking to customers for up to 20 years. You know, we, you guys got it right is the conversation. You, you listened to us, you know, you took the industries, you know, the well-being of the industry and the well-being of the individuals and make that up. You know, the manufacturers and vendors, the sales reps, the retailers, the designers. And you guys have built and delivered something that lifts the entire industry. And you've made our business better. Now, that's the conversation. That's what we aspire to. Because if we do that, we know we're going to be fine. You know? But we also know that if this industry goes sideways or backwards, you know, there's not much of a scenario where that's good for us. It's not good for IMC. It's not good for IMCDI. So you know, it's super important for us to listen, respond, you know, be creative, be innovative. It's in our title. Um, and do something that lifts the entire industry. And that's the conversation I want. Well, we'll have to come back a year from now, and we'll sit down and we'll see if that's the conversation. Maybe we'll we'll drag in a couple of vendors, a couple of retailers, and we'll put you on the hot seat and see if that's the actual conversation. All right, we'll book it. I'm ready. There we go. All right, Eric. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you being here and on the record. Thanks, Bill. I enjoyed it.